Welcome to the Life on Word podcast. I'm the host, Bailey Brown. Through this podcast, I hope you fall more in love with God's Word as it is properly understood. If you want to dig deeper into Scripture and see the big picture of God's story, you are in the right place. In these episodes, I want you to see how deep and wide Scripture is and what a joy it is to study God's Word. Life on Word exists to encourage you to build all of your life on the Word of God because it is the only worthy foundation. For more resources relating to studying the Bible, theology, and discipleship, check out baileylbrown.com. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Life on Word. Today we are continuing our journey through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. In chapter 5, Jesus taught about the blessings for those in the kingdom and the righteousness that he calls his followers to. In this chapter, Jesus will give several examples of what this righteousness looks like in daily life. Here we will find the Lord's Prayer and Jesus' teaching on the issues of money and anxiety. We will go ahead and get started, and as always, I will read the passage, and then we will dig in. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As we've seen in the last couple of episodes, the righteousness of those living in the kingdom as followers of Jesus is a big theme in the Sermon on the Mount. That theme continues in this section where Jesus teaches how this righteousness is lived out in the details of three different arenas of everyday life. We'll cover the first two areas of life in this episode, which are Jesus' teachings on public religious life and personal interior life. Then, in the next episode, we will see Jesus teaching on the arena of interpersonal relational life. One of the primary things to keep in mind here is the original context in which Jesus was speaking. Remember that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has both addressed his devoted followers and has called out warnings to the religious leaders that looked clean on the outside but had rotten hearts on the inside. This section continues with Jesus' teaching in a way that both instructs his followers and reprimands the corrupt religious customs of that time. Jesus starts off this section by talking about three practices that were integral in the Jewish religious life. Giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. Now he's not saying that these actions are not important, but rather that they can be done for the wrong reasons. If they are done with an eye on the audience, these actions are of no value to God. In the case of the religious leaders, they are being called out for being hypocrites as they do these Jewish practices with themselves and how they look in mind rather than God. Jesus wants his followers to be so eager to please God that they do good things not just for how it makes them look, but only to please God. 
Jesus promises that when his followers do these actions with the right intent and motive before God, they will be rewarded. And this reward is the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. It is the inner growth that will occur as the Holy Spirit transforms the heart more into Christ-likeness. The first example is about giving to the poor. In the first century, poverty was widespread, so the people of Israel took it very seriously to do what they could to provide for the poor. Jesus calls out hypocrites for giving to the poor only to make themselves look good. Jesus encourages his disciples to keep their acts of righteousness secret from others because God sees all and his eyes are the only ones that matter. In the next example, we find Jesus giving his disciples the Lord's Prayer. He instructs his followers to not be like those who publicly pray in order to be seen by others. Then he warns against praying with empty phrases and many words. Think of the ancient non-Jewish world. The pagans would regularly offer long, complicated words of prayer that they repeated over and over to try to convince some god or goddess to grant their requests. There were many gods in the pagan world, and the people never knew what would make the gods happy. So, Jesus here says that this way of praying isn't necessary, because the Father knows what His children need before they even ask. This leads to the famous Lord's Prayer, where Jesus provides a framework for prayer in the disciples' lives. He is not saying to repeat these words exactly, or that these words make up some magic formula. Rather, He is giving guidelines for how to approach God in general. Jesus instructs His followers to go into the inner room to pray. Now, this doesn't mean that they can never pray in public, but is more about the posture of the heart. Unlike the hypocrites, disciples should pray in the privacy of one's heart, checking their motives as being right before God. Before we look at each line of the prayer, notice the overall structure. The first three petitions are focused on God and His will, and then the last three are focused on the needs of the one who is praying. The prayer begins with, Our Father. Now, don't just skip over this. Consider that God is not some distant king or pagan God that is impersonal and uncaring. This is a king that is a true father to those who follow him. He desires a close relationship with his children. The first petition is to hallow God's name. This is a request for God to be held in reverence, for him to be honored, glorified, and exalted. The next line says, your kingdom come. This is a request for God's kingdom to be fully present. It isn't about Christians leaving earth to abide in heaven, but rather for the glory of heaven to come down to this earthly reality. The Messiah has come and he has brought the kingdom with him. Now that the kingdom has been inaugurated, followers of Jesus should look forward to God's kingdom coming in its fullness. The third petition states, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God reigns in heaven absolutely, so this is a call for earth to experience God's total rule on earth. Followers of Jesus show the present reality of the kingdom of heaven as they remain faithful to God's will in their lives. God's will can be experienced today, and the faithful lives of followers of Jesus are testimonies of this. The prayer now turns to requests for personal needs. God is the creator of all, and he loves his creation, so followers of Jesus can be confident that God cares about personal requests. 
The fourth line is asking God to provide daily bread. And bread here is most likely referring to two things. First, it is the food that one needs to survive. But more than that, it refers to all of the believer's needs, both physical and spiritual. Followers of Jesus should rely on God for all of their needs. God will give them their daily provision in a way that encourages a daily continuing dependence on God. The fifth petition states, Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For those that have responded to Jesus' call of salvation, they are called to repent so that their sins will be forgiven. This statement doesn't mean that one must forgive others in order to receive forgiveness from Jesus for their sins. Rather, that the heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God offers forgiveness and salvation. The final petition states, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Satan is always looking to tempt those who follow Jesus, so followers must rely on God for spiritual victory in their lives. There will be darkness in the world, and those who follow the Messiah are not exempt from it, but he is with them along the way, and they will not see the worst of it. After the prayer, Jesus provides one more example about public religious practices. This is the practice of fasting. Jesus once again points out the religious leaders who fast but make a big show about what they are doing so that all can see. Jesus does not prohibit fasting, but once again urges his followers to ensure they have the correct motive and intention when doing this. In the rest of this chapter, Jesus focuses on the pursuit of kingdom righteousness in the personal interior life of Jesus' disciples. Here, he addresses personal priorities, wealth, and the worries of life. The accumulation of wealth can lead to a false sense of security if one's heart is not in the right place. But Jesus tells his followers that earthly accumulation can vanish in this fallen world. He points to moths, rust, and thieves as forces that can take away earthly riches. Jesus says to instead, store up your treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. This means that what a person values is driven by the nature of their heart. This doesn't mean that these treasures are something one only accesses when they reach eternity. Jesus is teaching his followers that if they learn to love and serve God right now, the treasure of the presence of the kingdom will be with them here and now. Heaven is here through Jesus, and the treasure is living in the presence of the loving Father. If followers of Jesus stay focused on God, all other treasures will pale in comparison. Jesus then teaches about the eyes being the lamp of the body. By this, he means that what the eyes take in is important. What the eye focuses on is what fills the heart. If your eyes are set on goodness, this becomes the conduit that allows the heart to be filled with the light of God's treasure. On the other hand, the heart will be filled with darkness when one's eyes are fixed on earthly treasures that can be destroyed. Then, in verse 24, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. It is impossible to serve two masters. Jesus personifies wealth and possessions here as a rival God. Followers of Jesus must make a choice. Will they serve, love, and be devoted to God or to Satan? Loving God is not merely based on emotions, but is about serving and giving of oneself completely. Heart, mind, soul, and strength, all belonging to God. In the final section of this chapter, Jesus teaches on worry and anxiety. 
The word therefore in verse 25 provides the link between the prior section on money and this one on worry. Maybe disciples were thinking, if I choose God to be my master and I place my source of security in heaven, who will take care of my daily needs here on earth? Looking at the way that Jesus lives his life, it seems he had a strong sense of the goodness of the Father. When he instructs his followers to not worry, he would have been leading by example. Jesus wasn't always anxiously looking ahead, but rather was living in the present, celebrating the goodness of God in that moment. He knows that the God he is calling his followers to trust is the creator of the world, who has filled this life with many wonderful things, full of beauty and excitement. And this God wants his creatures to love him and trust him. Jesus goes on to give three reasons not to worry. First, because God the Father cares about what he has created. Birds go about doing things like building nests and collecting food, but it is actually God who cares for them. Disciples should see that when they responsibly live in the ways ordained by God, He is faithful to care and provide. Second, disciples should look at how the lilies of the field grow. Where Jesus is giving this sermon, there would have been many flowers growing wild that surrounded Jesus and His audience. He is saying that if God's sustaining care extends to such a minute part of his creation, that he will also care for his disciples. Those with effective faith will see the beauty of God's creation and will learn how to daily follow God's guidance and trust in his provision. Finally, disciples should not worry because worrying is the pattern of unbelievers who do not understand how the Father cares. The absence of worry derives from a correct understanding of God's provisions and the disciples' priorities of life. Jesus concludes by stating that disciples should first and foremost seek the kingdom. When the kingdom of heaven is the center of a disciple's daily life, they can live in a reality where they know that God is daily ordering their lives and providing care for them. Learning to trust in God's care for present concerns will develop a trust in the disciples in their future needs. Okay, we will stop here and look at some takeaways from today's reading. The biggest theme that I see throughout this chapter is the reminder of God's loving care. Remember that when we approach God in prayer, we are approaching our Father who loves us and wants to hear from us. Throughout these episodes on the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked pretty extensively about external and internal righteousness and how our motives and intention matter. If we see God's loving kindness in our lives, our motives in the actions we do as Christians should be rooted in a posture of gratitude for God sending His Son to be a ransom for us and a posture of love in response to the love that God continually shows us. When we experience God's love, we are moved to love Him back and love others as well. We live in a time when anxiety and depression are on the rise like never before. While it is often the case when struggling with anxiety that there is no switch to merely turn those anxious feelings off, I think that one way to attack this is through rooting ourselves deeply in Scripture. As Christians, we must remind ourselves until we truly believe it in our hearts that God loves us and He actually likes us. We are not our own and we do not have to strive to make it in this big world alone, but rather we belong to a kind Creator who loves us and who is willing to greatly sacrifice in order to redeem us. He is a God that provides exactly what we need. 
Just as a little child trusts her parents to meet her everyday needs, so God wants us to be with Him. Today we looked at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus gives instructions for living righteously in the arenas of public religious life and the private inner life. We covered the Lord's Prayer and then looked at Jesus' teachings on accumulating wealth and worries. In the next episode, we will wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7, Jesus will continue teaching about righteous living, and then he will give several warnings for his listeners to heed as they consider to what extent they are going to follow him. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Check out baileylbrown.com for show notes and more Life on Word resources.